National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. This week, the world has watched Israel at war after the Islamic terrorist group Hamas attacked Israel, brutally killing more than a thousand people and taking more than a hundred Israeli hostages. Israel has declared war and is launching airstrikes on the blockaded Gaza Strip. The U.S. government has condemned Hamas's attack. Pope Francis and other Catholic leaders throughout the world have also condemned terrorism and violence and are calling for prayer and fasting for peace. Longtime Register contributor Michelle Shaben joins us on Register Radio with perspectives from the ground in Israel. And then we turn to the Eucharist, who is our hope and an Italian teenager who was completely devoted to making our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament known to the world. We talk with Register contributor Sabrina Farisi about Blessed Carlo Acutis. I'm Jeanette Domello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. Pope Francis said on October 11th, um, with tears and apprehension, that he has been following Uh, The conflict in Israel following Hamas's attack last weekend, he's calling for peace in the Holy Land, and he has has condemned terrorism and extremism as uh, not the solution. And then, with stronger words this week, Vancouver Archbishop Michael Miller was even more pointed than Pope Francis. He said he unequivocally condemns the attack on Israel, and he's calling the nature of this attack, the taking of women and children as hostages, a serious violation of international law, but even more importantly, the moral law that is written on the conscience of every human being. He's calling for the world to mourn with Israel. Today, we are joined by Michelle Chabin, a longtime National Catholic Register contributor who is based in Israel Michelle, we're so very grateful for you being on the show with us today. You have reported for a long time for the Register um, about issues in the Holy Land, um, sometimes good and sometimes bad. Uh, What has been your experience of this conflict in the past week? What are you seeing and hearing? How have you and your immediate community been affected? Well, first of all, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. It's been less than a week, but it actually feels like about a year. Yeah. Um, my family lives about a mile and a half from the old city of Jerusalem, just to orient you. That's mm-hmm. where the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Western Wall, and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre are located. There are quarters for Jews, Muslims, and Christians. We personally believe in my family that Hamas doesn't want to hit the mosque with a rocket, so we haven't had any close calls so far. The fact that my family lives in Jerusalem means that we're not really feeling the brunt of the war They've only been, only, quote-unquote, been around six or seven air raid sirens here. But even we Jerusalemites are affected somewhat. Many or most businesses are closed, and all of the schools are closed throughout Israel, which means that families are holed up in their apartments to a large extent, and that creates a lot of, uh, a lot of stress. On Saturday morning, mm-hmm. around 8.30 in the morning, we heard an air raid siren blaring outside, um, Thank God we have a bomb shelter, which is a reinforced cement room inside our apartment. We quickly ran into the shelter and waited till we heard the booms. The booms yeah. are, in our case, where it was the Iron Dome rocket defense system that knocked down the rockets. Um, it's happened a few times. Even though it's, it's quiet in Jerusalem, more or less, many of us have loved ones 
in harm's way outside of the city. So it's, again, we're full of anxiety. Right. Yeah. While my phone apps told me that rockets were being fired into population centers all over southern and central Israel, like we, we didn't have any sense that 1,500 Hamas, Hamas terrorists had infiltrated by land and sea and, and through the, it's skin unbelievable. And the air. Exactly. Um, and we had no idea, no inkling that Hamas was carrying out what, you know, uh, mass murder against uh, civilians. Um, and we didn't know at the time that a dear friend's husband um, had been killed at the very beginning of the war. And that our community right here in Jerusalem, in our very neighborhood, had that they'd lost loved ones. Right. Um, we learned that Saturday night and Sunday morning, and it's been the the war. It's been unfolding ever since. Right, and, um, and I imagine that shock is um, is something that's very destabilizing, um, you know, to communities, to families like you. But as you said, there there are no schools. Um, things have shut down. So what? What is the aftermath? What what are your what are you guys preparing for? Bracing for? Uh, what are the expectations for the people there in in your area? But I mean, we can also speak of of the rest of of this land, the the West Bank, Gaza. Like, what's going on in the communities, and what are you bracing for? I guess you could say that we're bracing for um, we're bracing for not expecting, but bracing for all out war. Perhaps on on more than one front, Hezbollah, um, which is funded by and trained by Iran, has already sent uh, a team of terrorists into Israel. They killed three IDF soldiers on Israel's northern border. Um, tonight, the residents of northern Israel, as far south as Haifa, were ordered to enter bomb shelters. As it turned out, it was a false alarm, but that but they still, you know, were under tremendous stress. Um, we still don't know whether Israel will send its ground troops into Gaza to try to liberate the, uh, you know, the civilians and soldiers who've been taken captive. Um, we just don't know. And I right. think that part of the problem is, and is, is the stress is the, is the absolute uncertainty. We know that America has sent uh, reinforcements, an aircraft carrier, etc., which leads us to believe that this is, extremely serious, and because this is not the first rodeo for Israelis or Palestinians, but I think all of us are kind of quaking in our, in our boots. I wanted to ask you, because you have covered um, the Middle East, you know, for the register. I mean, you've been, uh, we have you in, in, our, in our newspaper as our uh, Middle East correspondent. You've covered that region. What, Michelle, do you believe um, could be the ramifications um, on the wider region in the Middle East? How how unstable is it now? I think it's really much too early to know the ramifications for Israel, for Palestine, for Egypt, for Lebanon. Um, in the short term, we know, of course, that thousands of people, you know, have lost their lives already. I mean, there's I don't know exactly how many Palestinians have been have been killed um, by Israeli airstrikes, but I do know that something like 1,100 or 1,000 Israelis have lost their lives already. Um, and we fear, we don't know, we fear this is only the beginning. And the fact that <clears throat> the violence will not only bring misery, but it will also bring revenge. Yeah. Interestingly, today, just now, um, in the West Bank, Bethlehem University 
sent out a press release or, or a message and, and shared that gas and fuel in the West Bank are being rationed. There's no travel between towns and urban centers as all of the checkpoints have been closed and the cost of food has been skyrocketing there. And that they're not directly in the, involved in this specific um, war right now. I mean, there's always something going on. But um, but that that just shows you that that um, that that the wider area is being affected, of course. Yes, yes. So uh, news reports in the U.S. are that the Palestinian authorities are saying at least 830 people, um, Palestinians, have been have been killed. I'm, this is, um, uh, you know, by Wednesday of of this past week. Um, I, I did want yes. to ask uh, more. I guess about the the various groups there in in Israel. I mean, many people think of of uh, you know Christians on the West Bank, or you know, but but as you said, there are quarters in Israel for Christians, um, uh, Muslims, Jews, uh, and and yeah. you are used to living um, in many ways side by side. This is a place, a holy place for many people. What impact are you seeing? Um, on these different groups, so I would say, particularly on Christians, we're talking to you're talking to a Catholic radio station, you know, right. um, both in in yeah. Israel and Palestine, but but also, you know, the other minority populations. How is everybody faring, and, and what impact do you see? As um, Israelis say, uh, rockets and and bombs do not discriminate between people of various ethnicities or faiths. Um, everyone is is affected. Um, in Israel, there are about a little bit less than uh, 200,000 indigenous Arab Christians uh, who live in Arabic-speaking communities. Um, they live in Jerusalem, Jaffa, Haifa, Nazareth, you know, villages in the Galilee. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to that, there are tens of thousands of Christian foreign workers and asylum seekers, whether they're caregivers or where or, or they came to Israel in search of freedom from Eritrea, for example. Um, and many of them live in, in Tel Aviv, in South Tel Aviv, for example. So when, uh, when Hezbollah or anyone else or Hamas fires a rocket into, the, into Tel Aviv or the, or the Galilee, they're also firing upon um, Circassians. They're, they're firing on Christians. They're, they're firing on Muslims. They're, you know, um, Samaritans. Um, if people, all people in Israel who live in old houses don't have a bomb shelter, they may have, if they live in a building, they may have a bomb shelter in the basement or on the ground floor, but they're not going to have like a personal bomb shelter like we do because we just did a renovation. Yeah, wow. Um, that, but, but the one thing that I think distinguishes Arab villages, for example, from Israeli cities or even Arab cities is the fact that um, I believe that there are no public funded bomb shelters in most Arab villages, like the small villages in the, in the Galilee, where um, Christians may live. So that makes them more vulnerable um, uh, than, than, than some other people in the population. Of course, um, perhaps 50% of the Israeli population also doesn't have bomb shelters. Um, there's a, it's a misnomer to think that, that um, oh, every Israeli has a bomb shelter and has act, quick access to a bomb shelter and no Palestinians have that quote-unquote privilege. Every, the entire population of both, of both countries is 
we're extremely vulnerable. Vulnerable, yes, it sounds. So I think we need to to close in talking about something that, you know, is why we're in this mess, you know, and that is... Um, radical fundamentalism and in, in this in this case it's islamic uh terrorists you know um w- you see that sometimes um I- I- even israeli fundamentalism but but here you see the grand scale of hamas and and this um really they as you said indiscriminate attack um they've killed jews christians and other muslims so in your journalistic work what what have you seen in terms of this terror uh, and its effects, how it starts and, and its effects on the people in the Holy Land? Um, it depends on who you talk to. Um, if you talk to um, a Muslim Palestinian, um, they would probably um, go back to um, 1948 or the Balfour Declaration. Um, right. um, you know, both peoples have you know, centuries of, of, of habitation here. There's no, no one has a monopoly on, 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 uh, on living here and no one has a monopoly on, on suffering. Um, um, yes, uh, I do believe that Islamic fundamentalism is playing a, a big role in this, in this particular military, uh, fiasco in this holy war. Um, because Hamas and Islamic Jihad and the 20 or so other Islamic um, fundamentalist groups in, in the Gaza Strip, uh, um, they're guided by fundamentalist Islam. Um, and according to fundamentalist Islam, extremist Islam, um, Jews and, and others, uh, other non-Muslims, are, including Christians, are, are the infidels. And, and in order to spread um, Islam throughout throughout the entire world, you, you have to get rid of uh, the Jews or the Christians or, or convert them or whatever. But no one seems to be trying to convert us. Uh, but um, I think that uh, that the Islamic fundamentalism is at the very root of this. Well, Michelle, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your experience and, and your reporting with us. Uh, we will will join you in prayer um, for all the people there um, and, and pray, as Pope Thank Francis you. has asked, prayer and fasting for uh, the end to, to this terror. I mean, thank you. When we come back, we'll be joined by registered contributor Sabrina Farisi with a more joyful story, that of the teenage blessed Carlo Acutis. Stay tuned. This is Register Radio on EWTN. If you need your news on the go, read the register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. 
That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency. You know, we live in a time where devotion to the Eucharist or belief in the Eucharist, that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, has, has been in decline for a number of years. And so the church has, has tried so hard um, at catechesis to help people understand the Holy Eucharist. And not too long ago, uh, Pope Francis gave us uh, a saint, or I should say the Lord. God gave us uh, a, a young man who had such a great love for Jesus and wanted to make him known in the Eucharist uh, throughout the world. And this young man was Carlo Acutis. He is an Italian teenager who died in 2006 after a few days of illness. He was diagnosed with leukemia, and uh, he offered his own suffering for the conversion of sinners, and his mother, too, offered her suffering. Uh, And he died on October 12th, so his feast day was October 12th, and I just want to make Carlo Acutis better known. Um, And recently, his mother, Antonia, uh, Salazano was in the U.S. and she took the relic of her son uh, and placed it in a reliquary in St. Dominic Church in Brick, New Jersey, um, where a new shrine to Blessed Carlos was established. And so that's the occasion of, of this report and this conversation uh, with my dear friend, a registered contributor, uh, Sabrina Farisi. Sabrina wrote a book about uh, Carlos Acutis. Uh, it was a book for teenagers. Um, and it's called Blessed Carlo Acutis, The Amazing Discovery of a Teenager in Heaven. Sabrina, it's so good to talk to you about your book and, and more importantly, about this young blessed. No, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, so you, um, you being uh, half Italian, <laughs> um, born, born in Italy, right, and raised in the United yep, States, yep, just mm-hmm. having this background, you were a perfect person to, uh, to write about uh, this blessed. Um, you also have teenagers. Um, and so yes. how, did you, <laughs> how did you come across uh, Carlo Acutis and decide to write a book about him? So this was a project that literally fell on my lap from heaven. One day, the register, um, the National Catholic Register, they emailed me and said, we'd like you to write about the beatification of this boy, Blessed Carlo Acutis. Can you write an article about it? We know you speak Italian. So this was in the year 2020, and I knew a little bit about him. I had read about him in Aletia, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that much. So I, you know, started my research. Um, I found a website that the family had created, an official Carlo Acutis website, and I contacted the family. So I was able to interview his mother, Antonia. I was able to interview uh, the postulator for the cause of canonization, and I interviewed the Archbishop of Assisi. But really, I have to say, the interview with Antonia was the best part of the project. Mm -hmm. So we spoke for an hour in, in Italian, and of course, by the time I was at the end of that interview, I was in tears. <laughs> I bet. Because really, on a human level, I, I'm the mother of five 
kids. And um, at that time, I think five of them were teenagers between the ages of 13 and 19. And it just broke my heart, you know, to talk to a woman who had lost her son, her only son at that time, right. at the age of 15, just his, um, at the beginning of his sophomore year in high school. Uh, it was an incredible project that landed on my lap. And after I wrote the article, within days I got a call from Holy Heroes, which is a publishing company. Uh, they write books about saints for young teenagers. And right away they said, could you write about Carlo Acutis? And I said, sure, let's do this. So uh, that's how I ended up doing this project. Well, I love that it started with a register article. Yes, <laughs> yes, always it, a blessing in my life. <laughs> the the power of uh, the power of the National Catholic Register. So, right. Sabrina, <laughs> you, you know you've you've talked about the fact that he was fifteen. We talked about that he was Italian, that he had a great love of the Eucharist. But yeah. what more can you tell us about this young sure. man? Mm-hmm. So, on one hand, what we all love about him is he was so very normal. He lived in the center of Milan. He wore blue jeans. He rode his bicycle around town. Um, He taught himself how to play the saxophone. He did karate. He was on a soccer team. He had four dogs, two cats, and goldfish. (laughs) Um, You know, he had a laptop, and he was very good at programming his computer. He was really into tech. So this was a kid who lived nowadays. Um, you know, they had a TV in their house. He lived the way so many of our teenagers live. And yet within this life, he was also really passionate about his faith. Um, there's a, an interview with his cousin, Flavia, where she said, you know, he was just like every other kid, except he had this incredible faith that was just always bursting out of him. And And it was very natural. So the kids in his school, they all knew that he was going to Mass every day, and yet everyone liked him. It wasn't like he was pushed aside. He wasn't a loner. He really was loved by everyone, and they didn't all necessarily share the same religious faith, but they respected him. And he wasn't shy. You know, he would talk in class. He would raise his hand. He would defend church teaching, even when other kids maybe didn't agree but he lived his faith openly in in our modern times. So this is something that is so attractive to so many teenagers, but I think also to adults. Absolutely. He's very inspiring for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. This uh, this young this young blessed Carlo Acutis uh, really was a whiz kid, though. I mean, he yeah. his abilities. Um, you know, with coding were tremendous. Uh, I think he was eight years old when he created a Eucharistic Miracles website, uh, just trying to track, right, the Eucharistic miracles around the world. Uh, In fact, his his mother, um, Antonia, was in the United States promoting um, a movie, um, New Mana, about Eucharistic websites. She was featured in this movie, and that's one of the reasons she was here recently, aside from that, yeah. that shrine in New Jersey. Um, right. So he, he, he's really a whiz. He was a whiz. No, yeah. So uh, the thing with, with Carlo is he was a bit of a computer genius. Yeah. And at the age of eight, he asked his mom, he said, Mom, I want to learn how to program. So she didn't know where to start, and so she went out and looked for some books for kids, but of course there weren't any. So she bought books that were written for um, college-age kids in Milan, and you know she was a little unsure. She brought the books home, and he said, Mom, this is fine, 
and he taught himself all kinds of computer languages like C++ and Java. And after he learned how to program, he really wanted to use these skills for, uh, for the church, for evangelization. So he created a website for his parish. This was at a time when, you know, parishes didn't have websites, but they were starting. So he created the website for his parish. He created a website for his high school. He went to a Jesuit high school. And then he said, wait, let me do something on the Eucharist. Because he noticed that kids were just not excited to go to Mass, and they weren't excited about the Eucharist. So he said, why don't we do something to really get people excited? And what could be more exciting than talking about Eucharistic miracles? So this was his, his big project. Absolutely. And his mother has really credited him with saving her faith, right? You've talked to Antonia. So what what does she say about her son? Oh, this part of the story is so interesting. So, so many of the blessed and, you know, young child saints we know of came from families that were very devout. Their parents were very devout Catholics. That didn't happen here. Antonia um, told me that by the time she got married, she had been to church only three times in her life. And this is someone who went to Catholic school in Italy, which is even even more frightening because apparently her schools were not asking the students to go to Mass, or they weren't having school Masses. So she said that her religious upbringing was, quote, a catastrophe. She didn't know anything about her faith. And Carlo, when he was four started to ask questions at home about God, and she couldn't answer really even the most basic questions. So finally, she didn't know what to do, and she decided to speak to a priest. Uh, A friend of a friend said, you know, go and speak to this really wise priest. And when she met this priest, he said, Antonia, you need to learn your faith. You need to study. So she signed up for theology classes in Milan, and she would end up studying for 12 years. Wow. And in fact, when she speaks, she really has the soul of a theologian because she really talks, I mean, she talks about everything, but really in a way that you can understand. <laughs> She's a little bit like Mother Angelica to Earth. But she said, you know, Carlo saved me. If it wasn't for him, I might never have begun my spiritual journey. And thank God she did start this journey because it was this tremendous faith that she had built up because of him that enabled her to deal with his death. If she hadn't had that background, she wouldn't have been able to deal with it. She has said this publicly, like, there's just no way you can deal with this kind of tragedy if you don't have a deep faith. It just makes me think of what uh, Blessed Carlo wants to teach us. You know, what can we learn from him? You mentioned you're a mom. I'm a mom, too. Uh, My kids are young. Um, Her faith was spurred on. Uh, Antonia's faith was spurred spurred on by her son. What can we learn from this um, for all of us? What, what, should, what should people take from this? Well, so Carlo, you know, he had a life plan. And his life plan, he said, was to become close to Jesus. So every day he went to Mass from the age of seven onwards when he received his first communion. Um, he said the rosary every day. He read a little bit of the Bible every day. When he would go to Mass, he would either stay a little bit beforehand or after in Eucharistic adoration, and um, he would also make uh, little sacrifices and offer them up to God. So he nurtured and fed his faith every day, even as a young child, even as a teenager, and we can all do that. Um, And that's really what, you know, sometimes we think, well, this is something for priests, this is something for nuns, this is something for old people. 
but he really showed that this is something for young people too. And he wasn't less happy because he did it. He was a very happy, very popular kid, I would have to add, in his school, but a very happy uh, a child. And because he was living the life he was supposed to live, really plugged into God. Absolutely. And I think I take away from this myself is just to listen to my children and listen to their hunger yeah. for God, right? And yeah. and it yeah. should make me uh, want to know more and want to know how to feed that hunger. And, and from the mouths of babes, right? We we right. learn to love our Lord. So really a beautiful example. I want to bring my uh, producer on for a second. Jeff Burson, get on, get on, please, because you have some information about uh, uh, Blessed Carlo. Uh, he uh, is now entombed in Assisi, right? And you've been there. Yes. Uh, he's in, a, in Assisi, in the middle of the town. On one side is St. Francis. The other side is St. Clair. And in the middle of the uh, city is Carlos. And you can see him, even if you don't go to Assisi, right? Tell us how. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) All you have to do is get on YouTube and type in Carlos Acutis live. And there's a live stream 24-7. On that video, if you get there early in the mornings, you can see people there asking for his intercession. Yeah, taking a look at the saint and asking for his intercession. Um, you know, that's what we should do. His, his feast day passed, and, and uh, I know ncregister.com had a lot of material on Carlo Acutis. Um, there at ncregister.com, you can find uh, a book review or a feature about um, Carlo Acutis uh, and uh, the, the story written by Sabrina. Um, one of those stories is titled "Blessed Carlo Acutis Show Us That Ho- Shows Us That Holiness Is Within Reach." And Sabrina, I just want to thank you for writing that uh, that story, um, interviewing, uh, using pleasure. your your Italian skills to interview, um, you know, the people who knew him most, and then having the opportunity to write that book. Um, we're grateful always for your reporting at ncregister.com. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's really been one of the big blessings of my life to get involved in this story. So thank you. Blessed Carlo Acutis, pray for us. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. Uh, with my producer, Jeff Burson, I am Jeanette DeMello, and I pray that until next week... God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.